Hello, Poetry Pals, and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I'm your host, Emma Wren. If you're new here, welcome to the group. We hope you enjoy it. If you are a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, according to author Lizzie Doughton, the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe provided her with the poems that she published in Poems from the Inner Life. She was either really talking to Edgar Allan Poe or she was really talking to her cat. Either way, it looks like it worked out well for her. Today's subject is the poem The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. Make sure to listen to last week's podcast first where we analyze section three, The Fire Sermon. Today, we will be looking at section four, Death by Water. Now believe me, Death by water would be way less painful than having to analyze this short section of the poem. Who knew analyzing 10 lines would be so difficult? The smallest section of the poem starts off by introducing a man named Phlebas the Phoenician. However, we find out just as quickly that he is dead. From what we can gather from these few lines, it seems as though Phlebas has drowned. A current under sea picked up his bones in whispers, entering the whirlpool. It is also said that sea creatures have picked apart his body, leaving the tide to pull his bones into the sea. This also provides imagery of his bones being sucked into the whirlpool. Then the section talks more about his death. He passed the stages of his age and youth. This line can be associated with your life flashing before your eyes moments before your death. In the final lines, Elliot emphasizes the importance of living life to the fullest. O you who turn the wheel and look to windward, consider Phlebas, who was once handsome and tall as you. Everyone dies eventually, so you might as well enjoy and value life while you can. No matter what religion you are, he is asking you to value life. Earlier in the poem, we also see that Phlebas forgets profit and loss in death. This means that what you gained in life, you can't take with you to the afterlife. It adds to valuing life. Why focus so much on what you don't have when you don't carry it with you in the end? While this section may be short, it is just as important as the other sections. This is the section that fulfills Madame Sesostris's prophecy. In section 1, The Burial of the Dead, Madame Sesostris pulls out the Fear Death by Water tarot card during her reading. In addition, the first card she pulls is the Drowned Phoenician Sailor, Here, said she, is your card, the drowned Phoenician sailor. Those were pearls that were his eyes. The pearl eyes are significant because we can imagine it's actually the body wilting down to bones. Eliot foreshadowed the death of Phlebas since the beginning. Using the sea as Phlebas's cause of death holds some importance. In literature, the ocean can be seen as the beginning of life. It's sporadic, mysterious and chaotic. In many stories, characters get lost in the sea and therefore can be seen to represent getting lost in the journey of life. Madame Sesostris predicted that Phlebas would get caught up in life, forgetting to cherish every moment. This is why the death of Phlebas can be seen as the most important death in the whole poem, not just because most of the foreshadowing and prophecies all lead to him, but because of all the symbolism put behind it. All of the symbolic elements regarding Phlebas center around the idea that life is limited and to embrace the reality that one day it will all be gone. 
I don't think I've ever been so impressed with a character's death in literature. Another area of importance is, looking back on the death in this poem, there has always been an element of resurrection. For example, at the end of section one, the narrator finds his old friend and asks about a corpse they buried and if it had begun to sprout. This brings up the element of resurrection. However, Phlebas doesn't resurrect, he just dies, doomed to undergo the process of decay. This further highlights the meaning of the section, to live life to the fullest. Phlebas didn't get a second chance or a last goodbye or any sort of warning. He died, forgetting his worldly cares in the process. This concludes part four of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Make sure to tune in next week where we discuss section five, What the Thunder Said. Stay tuned for our next segment, Band. In this segment, we will look at all of the countless books the American school system has banned and determine if it's because of its inappropriate themes such as racial issues, sexual content, violence, and encouraging damaging lifestyles, or if it's because the school system, along with parents, want to shield children from themes such as children slash teens overthrowing an unjust government, religions that are part of the majority, and the truth. I'm your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry. Hello, Poetry Pals, and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I am your host, Emma Wren. If you're new here, welcome to the group. We hope you enjoy it. If you are a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, did you know that poetry has a phobia? Metrophobia is the fear of poetry, and metromania is the compulsion to write poetry. Today's subject is the poem The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. Make sure to listen to last week's podcast first, where we analyze section 4, Death by Water. Today, we will be looking at section 5, What the Thunder Said. Now, if if you listen closely, you can hear what the thunder said. Listen, listen. It says, don't read this poem. It's what they read to war prisoners to get information out of them. Yikes. Uh, Let's see if that's actually true. The first stanza in this section has many allusions related to Christ, his death, and his resurrection. After the torchlight red on sweaty faces, after the frosty silence in the gardens, after the agony in stony places. This is an allusion to the suffering of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is after his death, but before his resurrection. It was that moment of waiting to see if rebirth was possible this time. Eliot is comparing this to humans, but instead of being dead, we are living a sort of half-life. We who were living are now dying. Unlike Christ, our death is slow and we can be blind to it. In the second stanza, it describes a landscape where there is no water, only rock and sand. Throughout the poem, Eliot has circled back to the idea of death by water or drowning. In doing this, he emphasizes that water equals death in the wasteland. So for there to be no water means all that's left is dry and desolate plains. Eliot touches on the hope for rain because of the thunder in the distance but the rain never comes. 
There is not even silence in the mountains, but dry, sterile thunder without rain. This is the exact feeling of being so close yet so far. The sound of thunder is bringing the anticipation of rain, but this wishful thinking fell short in the wasteland. Elliot brings up the idea of the unreal city in the fifth stanza. Falling towers, Jerusalem, Athens, Alexandria, Vienna, London, unreal. The term falling towers alludes to World War I and how the war affected Europe by destroying towns and leading to devastation. We can see that Eliot mentions the unreal city from section one, the burial of the dead. This is him saying that London is also decaying, but not in the physical sense. He is referring to moral decay, like how we saw him write in section three, the fire sermon. He sarcastically wrote that the river in London is flooded with garbage due to people's disrespect and ignorance. By listing it as one of the decaying cities, we see that Elliot believes London is heading in a direction of destruction because of the people that live there. In the eighth stanza, it finally rains in the wasteland. Then the thunder spoke, which means that the rain finally came, symbolizing the washing away of sins, the start of a new future. Then there are three foreign words that are emphasized. Translated, they mean give, sympathize, and control. Eliot uses these words and comments on what it means. This is what the thunder says, literally. The first word, give, asks, what have we given? Make sure that what you give has value. Then the second word, sympathize, adds, we think of the key, each in his prison. Thinking of the key, each confirms a prison. The prison represents the mind and the key confirms we are trapped in it. It tells you to remember everyone is stuck in their own prison, so be mindful of what someone could be going through. Have compassion for others. Lastly, the third word, control, we are given a metaphor about the sea. The boat responded gaily to the hand expert with sail and oar. The sea was calm. This message communicates to the reader that when everything is calm and in control, you should learn how to solve problems on your own. Don't rely on others to solve your problems for you. Take responsibility and be independent. The final stanza has a reference to the Fisher King, includes the nursery rhyme London Bridge, and some more things in another language. Eliot then writes, These fragments I have shored against my ruins. This line is in reference to the Fisher King, who's trying his best to mend what is left of his kingdom. He suggests that it is possible to move on despite failure, pick up the pieces and find a way to put them back together, rather than just collecting them and throwing them away. The whole poem ends with the repetition of one foreign word. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. This is a Hindu phrase that Eliot interpreted as the peace which passeth understanding, which reiterates the king's sense of resignation. To put it simply, we have to accept that there is no rebirth in this life. Death is inevitable, and it is to be accepted as the only means to an end. Accept that one day you will die so you can move on with your life. In conclusion, to sum up all the lessons in this section, there is no second chance after life. 
there is no water in the wasteland. The towers are falling and the towns are decaying. So give, sympathize, and control. Make sure what you give has value. Be mindful of everyone's mental prison and stay calm and control what you can independently. The peace which passeth understanding. This concludes part five of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Make sure to tune in next week where we discuss our final thoughts on the poem in our last part of the series. Stay tuned for our next segment, Flip Swap, where we switch out main characters and see how they stack up in opposing stories. The first main characters to be switched are Bella Swan from the Twilight series and Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. I am your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry. Hello, Poetry Pals, and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I am your host, Emma Wren. If you're new here, welcome to the group. We hope you enjoy it. If you are a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, first, try to guess how many words the longest poem has. Got your guess? Well, if it's 1.8 million words, then you're correct. The longest poem ever written is the Mahabharata, I think is how you say it, an ancient Indian epic poem which contains 1.8 million words. Today's subject is the poem The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. Make sure to listen to last week's podcast first, where we analyze section 5, What the Thunder Said. Today, I will be finalizing my thoughts on the poem. We will discuss the most important overarching themes and ideas, literary merit, why the text is important, and then my personal opinion. (sighs) Oh, sorry, that was just a sigh of relief for this painstaking process almost being over. The most prominent theme in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland is definitely death. Eliot believes that death is paving the way for a new life. Like how in section 5, What the Thunder Said, he talks about the death and resurrection of Christ and how it redeemed humanity, thereby giving it new life. Eliot also stressed the importance of death being inevitable. There's no point in running from it. So he encourages people to accept it. The second notable theme in the poem is rebirth which obviously ties in a lot with death. The allusions to Christ, along with many other religious elements, use rebirth and resurrection as central themes. In section five, when it mentions the Fisher King, he is shown to be rebuilding what was broken. This shows new beginnings. When rebirth and resurrection come up in the wasteland, it isn't always about someone coming back from the dead. Eliot views the world as not entirely living, but not entirely dead either. We who are living are now dying. So he stresses the point of new beginnings, to have control and solve your own problems. The last important theme I will discuss is the part that water plays in the poem. In the wasteland, there is an absence of water. And in literature, water often symbolizes rebirth and life but in some cases, it can also mean death and destruction. Madame Sesostris predicts the section, Death by Water, 
when she pulls the Fear Death by Water tarot card. When the rain finally comes at the end of the poem, it washes away all of the sin and misdeeds, once again emphasizing the theme of rebirth. T.S. Eliot's work was paramount in making 1922 the most influential year in modernist literature. He was one of the 20th century's major poets and a central figure in modernist poetry, so it's no surprise that his poem, The Wasteland, holds high literary merit. If this poem doesn't stand the test of time, then I don't know what will. The themes elicit good discussion, the story is appealing to a wide audience, and the characters are interesting. Eliot pulls elements from Buddhism, Hinduism, Dante's Divine Comedy, Shakespeare's The Tempest and Hamlet, and, of course, The Legend of the Holy Grail and The Fisher King. The poem is artfully written, using a wide range of literary elements, including but not limited to imagery, tone, allusion, foreshadowing, personification, juxtaposition, metaphor, irony, and repetition. This poem evokes an emotional response after reading it, making the reader stop and think, not just at the end of the poem, but all throughout it. This poem isn't just for one type of person, and you don't need to be a specific person to understand it. If you can't grasp one part of the poem, then you'll be able to grasp another and it will still make sense. I will be greatly disappointed if this poem still isn't being read in a hundred years. This poem is definitely on the list of the top 10 most influential and iconic poems in the English language. If you're asking yourself, why should I read this poem? then I have an answer for you. Well, actually a few answers. The way Eliot captured the feeling of his time is the work of a true poet. There isn't one single view in the poem, no single voice, no single story. He mixes together many stories, many voices that echoed his culture that at the time was in shambles. The Wasteland is an important part of English literature because of its broad symbolic significance and Eliot's early mastery of literary techniques, coupled with its cultural significance. And once you read a little bit about the history of T.S. Eliot and the process he went through to create this poem, you appreciate it all the more. Lastly, for my opinion of the poem, I'm pretty sure my previous statements were enough. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a poem more than this one in my whole life. All of the poems I've read for school can't even begin to stack up to this one. And not just because it's 11 pages long. Okay, may maybe it has a little to do with that. I know I've joked about how much this took, or how much I despised the poem for being so complicated and long, but that was all it was, a joke. I seriously enjoyed this poem, and I would gladly read it and analyze it again. I give this poem an 11 out of 10. The Wasteland will always hold a special place in my heart until the day I find a better poem, but I honestly doubt that will ever happen, because I just love this poem. This concludes the last part of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Stay tuned for our next segment, where I go to Twitter and Reddit to defend The Wasteland against any possible critique people pulled out of their butt. I will fight to the death for this poem. 
I am your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry.